This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We told you last week we're going to talk today about the death of 52-year-old Dan Rappaport, a very prominent Latvian-American businessman who died of a somewhat suspicious death here in Washington on the 14th of August. But we need to change gears here because it's not clear what happened in that case. But in another case, a high-profile death in Moscow this week, it was an assassination. Daria Dugina. We'll dig into what happened, who likely did it, and what it means. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. As I mentioned off the top, a very prominent Russian woman was killed this week in an assassination, a car bomb in Moscow. Her name is Daria Dugina. Her father, Alexander Dugin, was said to be Putin's brain, Vladimir Putin's brain, meaning uh, he thought some things and believe some things that somehow Vladimir Putin came to think and believe. Um, But the truth of this matter is he was not as close to Putin uh, as people think he was. Uh, And I've been told by very good sources that it wasn't as if he really was uh, that that influential in in Vladimir Putin's life or in his in his in his regime. But anyway, his daughter was killed. Russia blamed Ukraine Ukraine denies doing it, so we really don't know who did it. But taking a look at the Russian investigation, it seems as though it's hard to believe that something this complicated could take place, and they've already figured out how it happened. And it turns out, talking to Kalev Stoichescu, an Estonian diplomat, former ambassador to the U.S., and he's also a former Ministry of Defense official, talking to him about this, there are a lot of holes in Russia's story. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Several days ago, the daughter of a prominent Russian philosopher and I think strategist for Vladimir Putin was killed in an assassination. Russia immediately blamed Ukraine and said that someone responsible or at least involved in it had fled to Estonia. And I read um, on some Estonian media yesterday uh, some comments from you essentially saying this whole thing um, about Dugina's killer going to Estonia is a fiction of the FSB. Um, is that accurate? And would you explain what you mean if you said that? I mean, let's look at the story as it has been presented by the FSB. Uh, the legend of this story is that a lady, a Ukrainian from Mariupol, 
moved to Russia, more precisely to Moscow, where she rented, uh, together with her daughter, that supposedly is 12 years old, she rented an apartment in the same building where Daria Dugina, the daughter of uh, Alexander Dugin, lived. She had a car, a Mini Cooper, with, uh, she used different uh, license plates, this is what the FSB says, of the caricature Donetsk People's Republic, the DNR, and uh, also of Kazakhstan and even Ukraine, that she planted the bomb under or in Dugina's car that exploded on the highway when she was driving and uh, the car went ablaze and, 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 and so on. And that she then fled Moscow through whole of Russia to Pskov, a Russian city that is about 60 kilometers from Estonia's eastern border. And then she crossed the border to Estonia. This is how the FSB presents uh, the whole thing. I mean, um, when I read this uh, legend of, FS of the FSB, I even started to, to, you know, smile or even laugh a bit. I mean, I've read all sorts of Russian fairy tales, the Bolinas and so on. The only element that might be true uh, in this whole story is that there is such a woman with such an aim who crossed the border to Estonia and used this, uh, that she's the one, so to say now who's to blame for all this and that. The rest is, I don't know, uh, almost impossible to believe. First of all, if, if, a, if a woman, a Ukrainian from Mariupol, and we all know uh, what uh, has become of Mariupol and what is the situation there, uh, wanted to move out of Mariupol, more precisely to Russia. This is impossible without uh, even moving in that city and doing something. Living there is impossible without passing through those Russian horrible filtration procedures in those filtration camps. That's first of all. They make a portrait that every person, uh, absolutely every person, especially if the person has would move to Russia. Uh, no suspicion, so to say. Then she even moves to Moscow, incredible, and rents an apartment in the building where uh, Dugin's daughter lives. I mean, I don't think, uh, I don't know the address, uh, but I don't think that that is a very, um, not, so to say, ordinary building in an ordinary area. That is one thing. And uh, that how could she get over there, then that she followed uh, Dugina, and now the FSB tells us that they know that she followed, well, if they knew that she was following Dugina, why didn't they do anything about it uh, then? That's the first thing. And using different license plates and all that stuff. I mean, uh, th this is absolutely absurd. And after uh, uh, Dugina's car exploded, that that lady with or without her daughter, I don't know, would drive through all of Russia without being detected by the FSB and caught and even allowed to cross the border to Estonia. I mean, this is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, so uh, and then we, it's a legend. I mean, this whole thing is being presented now in order to, uh, 
to, because the first question in Russia when something bad happens is, who is guilty? Who's to blame? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously they pointed the finger to, to Ukraine and to Estonia. I mean, okay, let me ask them some questions here, Ambassador. Um, yeah. Why? Why? Yes. Just briefly, uh, first, just, just before, I, before we start speculating, because there is no other way to approach this question of why, um, we see now that uh, this has been used in Russia to raise the level of hatred and the desire to take revenge on Ukraine and on countries that support Ukraine, like Estonia, to high levels to new level. I mean, <clears throat> this hysteria is growing in Russia. Probably they are cooking a new offensive and they need popular support for that. And uh, we've seen this, uh, the uh, funerals of Dugina were put on prime time on Russia's first channel, uh, the official channel, TV channel. Um, she became a martyr and uh, or was martyrized, so to say, by the authorities. Even Putin made an address, and and she gave her her uh, posthumously a um, an order, and so on and so forth. I mean, this has been exploited to the very maximum. Why? Because the FSB is uh, is under attack by the Kremlin for sure. There have been, uh, there may be even factions in the FSB now. Those who are uh, the uh, the war uh, the warmongers and the uh, those who may not very much agree with what's going on. Anyway, uh, Putin has blamed the FSB. He himself uh, has been the director of that. Uh, uh, organization before he became prime minister and president in the 90s. He's from those organs, so to say, and he blames them for the whole story, what has happened since the 24th of February. Yeah. So but they planned badly the whole thing and so on and so forth. Now there are also speculations that they needed a kind of a sensation to yeah. bring out this momentum. And um, uh, so, Ambassador, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. I have a few questions I'd like to ask you. Um, uh, I had one more thought here. The please. Putin's regime, they are, of course, against any kind of opposition in the country that they have eliminated, including Navalny and so on. But they also hate competition. And I believe there is an element there with the extreme right radicals like Dukin and so on, that they, in their growing paranoia in the Kremlin, they sensed that they have to do something. So they killed Daria Dugin. Ambassador, as ridiculous as this plot seems, because as you mentioned, to anyone who just kind of looks at it rationally, you know, it's pretty much impossible um, for this to have taken place and for the FSB and the Kremlin to know all the details about this within 24 hours uh, and then come up with this incredible story, this legend about this person. And as you say, if you knew all this, why didn't you do something? It's impossible, I think, for people to rationally to look at this and, 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 and think that, okay, this is true. And then there's this issue of 
you know, pointing the finger at Ukraine and Estonia. But the question I'd like to ask you at this point, sir, is what about the other elites in Russia who look at this and see Dugan, Dugan and Dugana, his daughter, were supposedly a part of that class and, and, and supposedly were a part of, at least to some degree, the circle of Putin. Uh, and uh, in, were, were part of that influential circle. So if this happens to them, you know, you know, what do you think the other folks in the elite circles, circle in, in, in Russia are thinking? Um, could this happen to me as well? Well, I think uh, all of those guys uh, are a little bit afraid now. I forgot to mention one key element in the FSB's legend is that in the parking lot next to where uh, there was an event where Dugina participated, then she sat in the car. For some reason, the security cameras didn't work. Um, doesn't yeah, that incredible. also say something? So, yeah, whatever. Now, coming back to your question, um, uh, I, I think this was a signal. I mean, Putin's regime is a criminal regime. They act like mafia mobsters. They give this kind of messages, you know, like in The Godfather with the fish in a, in, in a newspaper. Well, this is a Sicilian message. I mean, this is the way they act. Uh, they don't know how to do things otherwise than by killing, threatening, uh, giving such messages and so on. So this is the way they do it. They they feel that uh, the Russian people, too, may start feeling that this is a war. I mean, um, the war is coming to them, to the Russians, uh, little by little. We see in Crimea, in regions adjacent to Ukraine, there are things happening. And I don't think there is an end to this war before it comes to the Russians in one way or another, because this war can be stopped only by the Russians. They started it, they will stop it. Uh, the Putin regime would not stop the war before they achieved what they want to achieve. They would rather die before uh, stopping the war and uh, without winning it. So, and then the problem is how the, does this war come to the Russians? So, and uh, uh, this is the. There are many ways. Uh, we are even discussing in the EU now imposing, uh, stopping issuing tourist visas to the Russians. I mean, to make them understand that um, they will become, if they are not already, pariahs in, in, in the world, because it's not just Putin's war. It is uh, some people, for instance, Germany's chancellor, Olaf Scholz says that, well, Putin is responsible. We don't have to punish the Russian people for that. I say, yeah, but I mean, uh, they are also, they share a responsibility here. I mean, most of the Russian people have constantly voted for Putin and they still support him. And they actually applauded this war. They don't realize that this is a real war where people are killed. It's not just a war game in a computer. So, or they have, uh, and that in that sense, we have to bring them the sense of responsibility and somehow. There is one Russian elite at the moment, uh, that is uh, the so-called collective Putin, who controls very tightly the country. Those who might compete with them uh, or, or contemplate to compete with them, they would be eliminated just as Daria Dubina was. And they say that she became 
far too popular. And, and I mean, this growing paranoia in, in the Kremlin makes them very nervous. They see ghosts everywhere. So, and they try to kill those ghosts, so to say, and, and people die both in Russia and abroad. They are killing people as we've seen anywhere. So, and uh, we have to take this, they have issued threats to Estonia and we have to take those threats seriously uh, because look, I mean, in December last year, on the 17th, I think of December, Russia presented two ultimatums that they called, or lists of ultimatums that they called agreements to the United States and to NATO. If you read those carefully, you see that there are two stages in Russia's approach. One is to terminate Ukraine, to destroy Ukraine. And the second is to destroy Europe's security architecture that is based on NATO and EU. This is their aim. And these two might go even in parallel. Uh, Russia might not wait until the business is finished with Ukraine. And it's absolutely sure that they will embark on a conflict uh, with Europe. So, Ambassador, um, you talked about this uh, threat to Estonia, Ukraine and the United States. And so a couple of brief questions for brief answers before our time runs out. Um, What what do you think Estonia will do with this threat now? Um, Anything different than Estonia has already done? Because we don't see Estonia backing away from this challenge. Um, And we don't see Ukraine backing away either because... I mean, if 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 anybody in Russia, in in the Kremlin thinks that Ukraine or Estonia or any other country is going to get afraid of them because of this uh, threat, especially Ukraine, you have to think about how. I mean, because nobody's going to be afraid of Russia because Russia's angry about the killing of Dugina, uh, especially Ukraine, because. Um, think about how angry Ukrainians might be after all the number of Ukrainians that have been killed in this war. So they're continuing to press forward with what they're doing based on what I hear. So my question to you is, how does Estonia react to this? I mean, we've been absolutely calm and uh, in the sense that, but we take all the necessary measures of security and defense, everything that is in our capability to I mean, in Dugina's case, and this claimed uh, Ukrainian assassin, as they say, um, if such a person exists, and I believe it exists, and if she's in Estonia, whatever, I mean, Russia should present evidence, should present evidence and and clearly according to um, treaties of extradition and everything that are and legal assistance that exists. So we can't start doing anything. Uh, just on publicized stories by the FSB through the Russia today. I mean, but again, uh, I don't think our authorities have to react to this particular story officially before Russia has presented anything. Or, okay. And I, I can hardly see that they can do. But, I mean, we are on the front line. We soon, Finland too, as a, as a member of NATO, Soon, I presume, Sweden, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, down to Romania, Norway in the north, if you wish. So we're on the front line, and we have to count that uh, under Putin, 
Russia is aggressive and there is a real threat. And uh, as long as this regime is there, we cannot live in peace and, and, and for a single second, not to think of our defense and everything. And um, this war has been going on for more than eight years now, eight and a half years. So it's, it's not something that actually uh, started on the 24th of uh, February. And basically we are all at war. Russia simply hasn't used military force against NATO so far. But it, uh, it has attacked us by all other means, non-military means, including cyber attacks and everything else. So, uh, so not to speak of propaganda and, uh, and how trolling and how they use the social media and, and everything interfering into Western elections and all that. So basically, we cannot uh, continue to close our eyes and so on. I, I think there were some, at least some countries in the West that were more apologetic, let's say, or, or was Russia, like even Finland and Germany, are, are, are opening their eyes and they see. I mean, let's be frank, this is the reason why Finland and Sweden joined NATO, because they now realize that Putin is, is pushing to close the door of NATO's enlargement to the East. And they realized also that countries that are not under NATO's umbrella are very vulnerable and attackable by Russia. And this is the, what Ukraine has uh, demonstrated. So, yeah. and it, uh, so I, I think uh, Russia has achieved uh, negative repercussions from its point of view uh, due to its actions, but Russia should look into the mirror and, and blame herself for, for uh, all these things that have happened. Basically, Russia has forced us, the West, to do many things that perhaps would not have been done before. Um, the Allied presence in the Eastern Allies, on the Eastern Allies territories and NATO's enlargement and all that. Uh, now uh, the EU countries uh, willing to give up uh, imports of uh, Russian energy and, and, and basically cutting the economic uh, ties with Russia, let's say so. Uh, this all has happened because of Russia's own actions, uh, not because we would uh, have wanted to, to ruin Russia or whatever. So yeah. this is a colossal mistake that Putin has made. Uh, he, he's a gambler, as it comes out. He, he just thought that he will take the jackpot in two, three days by taking Kiev, and he couldn't. And now they are in this mire, in, in, in this horrible situation. They don't know themselves how to come out of it. Yeah. I don't think they are very interested yeah. in continuing the war. They simply don't, uh, don't have a clue how, how to go on. And they want to demonstrate that they will fight to the end, etc. I think the winner is the one that has more resources. This has been always since Napoleonic Wars. And we have infinitely more resources in the West than Russia has. We simply don't use them properly. Yeah. Otherwise, Russia would be on its knees very soon. Uh, for some reason, there is a fear in the West that uh, the Putin's regime could collapse and so on, what would come and so on. I see a similarity with the end of the 80s and early 90s when there was a fear that the Soviet Union would collapse, what would be then and so on. Nothing bad happened. 
uh, yeah, for the Soviets it did, and for Putin, like uh, people, it did. Yeah, the, the Soviet Empire oh. collapsed, so, but not for us. Yeah. So just finally, um, basically, you said that uh, some of the resources that the West has are not being used properly. Um, so just briefly, we, we're about to run out of time, but just briefly give us a, a sense of how these, which resources should be used how, and, and, and how they would be more effectively used. First of all, uh, to, of course it takes time in the energy sector to, to remodel the whole thing in, in the West. Uh, gas supplies, oil supplies, everything and so on. This is doable. Secondly, not all channels, I mean, these sanctions that have been adopted are a little bit of Swiss cheese, let's say, so they have lots of holes in them. And the Russians are exploiting these things. We, uh, they also have a parallel import system now through Kazakhstan, through Armenia, through Georgia, through Belarus. They buy Western stuff that we don't sell to them from those countries and they import them massively for, for billions of dollars uh, every month. I think we should issue warnings to those countries to stop selling to Russia stuff that is not meant for Russia. To even label commodities and stuff to say not for sale in Russia. And if they still do that, then uh, we should take some steps against the, these countries because they're basically helping Russia to circumvent sections and so on. I mean, we have lots of instruments that are when obviously giving more support to Ukraine in terms of even better weapons would uh, greatly help Ukraine in finishing sooner the war uh, with victory. But again, there is a, f a fear that the conflict would enlarge and, and as if Ukraine does not have the right to attack Russian military infrastructure on the Russian territory that is used for aggression against. Uh, why on earth, if, if a country invades another, should the war be only on the territory of the invaded country? How on earth would the Russians ever understand that this is a war if it doesn't go to them? Hmm? These are questions. So, yeah. but still there is a fear and there is also some hidden hope that maybe some deals could be done with Russia and to finish. Yes, we all want this war to finish, uh, to be finished soon, but uh, we can't just stop here now and uh, uh, fulfill Russia's demands. Yeah. Uh, we will be in very big trouble in the future if we do that. Yeah. Ambassador, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. I appreciate your, your time, your insight, your wisdom, and um, everything you've shared with us today. Thank you. And thank you, sir, and uh, good luck to you. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. Was the killing of Daria Dugina an inside job? It, it, it almost sounds like um, an insider in the FSB with technical capabilities. Former CIA covert operative Robert Bayer says an FSB insider with a message for the Kremlin. To send Putin a message saying, hey, you're listening to these fascists like Dugin 
and the rest of them, they're crazy, and we're tired of this war. That's the best explanation I've heard from Russians. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.